0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the second ever LinkedIn Live doing a Sam's Business Growth Show and delighted to be joined by Shabri Lakani today. Um, She's the founder and CEO over at Work. Shabri, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing well, thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me, great to be here.
0: No, I appreciate it and excited to chat through all things sales, business growth, um, and learn some of the both digital marketing and some of the offline strategies that you've utilised. To grow your own company. Um, I'll just do a very quick intro on your, yourself. Um, so understand you've got 10 years of experience within inside sales and sales development, um, where you spent seven years at one of the largest fintechs in Europe, uh, Finastra, uh, where you've grown a team from 2 to 50 people, whilst creating revenue-generating inside sales team, closing around 3 million annually. Um, in 2018, Shabri started SalesWorks. Which is a global training consulting firm working with B two B software companies from seed to scaling, focused on sales team development, um, and it's reimagined the legacy approach to training. And very recently, I understand the cell the, the company has been acquired. So congratulations on that, great news! So we looking forward to, looking forward to chatting through that. So, yeah, let's let's jump right in, Shabri. As, as a start, it would be great to get a bit of background on yourself. So, how you first got into sales. Um, and the business world in general. And perhaps you could share with us a few actionable tips that you picked up along the way, be it in sales, marketing, or business in general.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as you mentioned, I've got about 10 years' experience within the world of sales. And so I actually started my career at Finastra, which is how I first got into sales. I started as a sales development rep, um, it wasn't really a thing back then. And um, so I remember telling my friends who were starting careers in banks and law firms and PR agencies that I was going to be an SDR. And um, I kind of got a lot of blank looks on, on their faces. And um, so I decided that I wanted to do something within the financial industry. Um, and sales was seemed like a, a good place for me to start, for me to build a full skill set. Um, Actually, one thing that's not on my LinkedIn, and a lot of people don't know about me, that that wasn't my first case of sales. Um, My first case of sales was actually um, between the summer of my second and third year at university. um, I went over to the US. um, I picked the hottest state, so I went over to Arizona. And I actually did a summer of door-to-door selling, um, which is actually um, probably the toughest sales role like I've ever, ever done. I mean, door-to-door selling in 45-degree heat and um, where you're selling educational books um, and you kind of map out the roads that you're going to go down and, you know, how you're going to start selling. It was definitely one of the challenging, most challenging roles I've, I've ever done. Um, and I think it taught me a hell of a lot. Um, my FDI role at Finastra was very different to that. So uh, the kind of chalk and cheese. Uh, yeah, sort of, yeah. Financial software. But, but yeah, that's a, that's a fun fact about me.
0: Awesome and I bet daughters were saying, like you say, let alone in the UK it's gonna be hard enough. Or being in the blazing heat must have been an absolute mission. So were there some um, some things you picked up? If it was your first taste in sales, what were some of the, the lessons you learned whilst you were doing that, Shabri?
1: So I think planning was just so key. Like you can't just walk down a road and just knock on everyone's door, right? And it's 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 amazing to see how much of that is transferable from what I did then into even how we sell now, right? So you think about the road, you think about who your ideal customer profile is. It's someone with children, it's someone who's trying to keep their children distracted during the summer. You think about your addressable market. So I used to have a little piece of paper and I used to mark down people's houses and, you know, ask for referrals. So, you know, if I'd speak to someone the same way that we would now. And so, you know, some of the lessons that I learned was kind of that first 30 seconds and that you know you're opening someone's opening their door to their, their home to you um and that first 10 seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds is so important of how you present yourself um, how you communicate and how you actually build relationships and you know those are all transferable things that you know I took with me as I went into kind of the world of b2b sales as well um but also the other thing that I learned which is you know, pivotal to the of sales and what we do now is how you ask questions, right? um And it was it was so funny because I remember when we were doing our training. You know, they said you can't just knock on the door and say, "Do you have kids?" Like, how creepy does that sound, right? It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah. So, how you ask questions, you know, open-ended questions, um and how you kind of go through discovery and how you genuinely um, are trying to find out useful information about people. that's again, another lesson that I learned. Um, that you know is um, and and don't push right like I think door to door selling is so hard um, and I haven't done it since Um, but you know door to door selling is is really difficult so just kind of understanding how you deal with resilience and how you deal I have door slams on my face right how do you deal with that Um, and it's the same as having you know the frame sit down on you and and everything like that so dealing with the resilience I think was was something I learned um, a huge amount about that summer, I think I learned tons about myself too. But um, okay, <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, you know, it was challenging.
0: Those are some some awesome points. So we started with working out your ideal customer. So, like you say, what what was it you were selling exactly? Did you say educational books there, Shabri?
1: Yeah. So we did books all the way from um, sort of preschool all the way up to um, like the SAT, which in the UK is A level um, stage. So kind of anything aimed from a two year old to a seventeen year old. Um, we had everything.
0: Got it. Okay. So in your case, you had to map out exactly where I guess the families lived in the area. So the yeah. target market that was relevant to, to the product you're offering. Um, and then you mentioned work, the first 30 seconds are, are crucial. So can we dive into that a bit deeper as, as in what exactly you mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, you know, and there's a ton of research that shows, you know, people make judgments of you in, you know, milliseconds, right? But you've really got about six seconds to make a first impression. And so, you know, it was 45 degrees heat. So, you know, you're kind of in t shirt and shorts and you've got a big backpack with a couple of samples books in in front of you, right? And um, you know, I think also I was British as well, so they knew I wasn't local, so kind of coming in with this British accent. Um, so you know, if I got a referral, it was a lot easier because I could say, you know, hey, I was just speaking to Sam at number 36 and he mentioned that sure. if you work working Army me coming in to, you know, see how you guys are doing um, and how you're keeping your kids entertained this summer. It was really difficult to do that call, and, you know, really difficult when someone starts yelling at you saying, you know, like, how dare you knock at my door? And, um, you know, what are you doing here? And I think it's just kind of, again, you know, that overcoming those objections how do you deal with that and not being in a pushy way it's difficult it's it's a lot different i think when you're calling someone and they say i'm not interested when you're looking at the whites of someone's eyes at their front door and they're saying i'm not interested go away um i think it's just important to maintain that composure and, and sort of progress that conversation with with confidence as well
0: yeah and that makes sense and then another awesome point that you raised was it's about how you ask questions So a lot of people that are tuning in, whether they're watching live or whether they're listening in or watching the video um, might not understand the importance of asking great questions. And that is a really solid way to build confidence with your prospective customers and your buyers. Um, So in, in this case, how did, how did that work? Because, you know, um, as we were saying earlier, Shabba, you couldn't just go there straight away and say, look, do you guys have kids? Because they probably slam your door and- <laughs> or call the local authorities? So how, how can we ease it in? How can we build rapport? Are there any ways that you found have been useful to be able to build rapport with your ideal customers and, and then be able to ask some of the tougher questions that can give us the information we need to be able to qualify if this customer is going to be able to do business with us or not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that I think had I done that, had I done that role today, I think I'd approach it a little bit differently because I think we're in a world now where everything's at our fingertips. You know, Amazon, um, sort of, people don't really like buy door to door anymore, right? So I think the competition's higher. I think the need to stand out is a lot more. I think personalization is key. Um, so I think building rapport, you kind of going into um, to someone's house, I think, you know, the same way that people make judgments about us. I think we can make judgments about people and how they're going to react. So if, if someone opens the door and they've got a big smile on their face and, you know, often, you know, there were times which it was easy. Someone would open the door and they'd have a you know five year old child wrapped around their leg. And so you can kind of use that to, to start the conversation or a dog in the background or you could hear children um, or you could make conversation about something you saw in their front garden or something like that. Um often when there was nothing, um, you know, the way that I'd be able to go in is just say, you know, um, hey, good morning. Um I was actually just talking to Sam next door. Um, and I thought I'd come in and and, um, you know, pay you a visit and, and introduce myself as well. I think when it comes to questioning um, in sales, you know, we do a lot of training of sales teams. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time training on is wide net questions and asking those wide net questions to elicit longer responses. So if I say to you, um, you know, hey, Sam, are you having a good day? You've got two answers, you've got yes or no, right? But if I say, hey, Sam, you know, how Tuesday started, it's just the same question, but just asking it in a different way, you're much more likely to give me a longer response. Um, And another reason why that question is quite good is because is likely for you to share what's going on in your day so if i knocked on your door and i said you know hey sam how's tuesday started you know you might say you know it's um it's been a nightmare i've had the kids you know the kids running around and that's great because i can say you know well actually you know what are you doing this summer to keep your kids entertained and and that sort of thing so it opens up the conversation a little bit more and i think the what and how questions that we in bales are so important Um, South people often think why questions are good. And actually, we tend to advise people keeping away from why questions because they can sound a little bit um, accusatory and people can get a bit defensive. Um, So, you know, the what and how questions. And it's so simple because I think most questions you ask, it's just really easy to kind of switch that into a what and how question to get longer responses from, um, from your prospects.
0: Got it. Okay, so using open-ended questions as a initial starter to to start building report and building off that. Got it. Awesome. Okay, so start off with door knocking. What was what was next up for you, Shabri? What what was the next role you got into?
1: Yeah. So then I started um, at a company at the time it was called MyFirst, now it's called Finestra. It grew by um, by uh, merger and acquisition, but um, I started there as an SDR. So I did uh, just on the eighteen months there as an SDR um, calling banks and financial institutions, um, selling enterprise financial technology. Um, and that was, it was a great role. Like it taught me a lot about sales. I got familiar with just communication and prospecting, the sales process. Um, so that that was a, a really good role I felt for me to to start with and sort of build, um, build my confidence within the industry and the products and, and sales really. Um, after that, I then they wanted to grow the team. Um, and so I took on my first manager role um, at the age of 22. Um, so I um, I got promoted to be team lead for Europe and America. So that was initially the, the, the focus regions that we wanted to grow out. Um, so then after that, um, they saw some success in those regions and they wanted to move to some of the more emerging markets. So Middle East, Africa and Asia Pacific. Um, And so I moved to Dubai for three years, um, and I um, spent three years out in the region, focusing on Middle East, Africa, and Asia. Um, I then came back from Dubai and spent another two years in London, um, and I then um, sort of rebuilt and grew the team again um, for inside sales and and sales development. And then in 2018, I left. So that was kind of a snapshot of of my career at, at Finestra.
0: Yeah, got it. So, Finastro, you you grew quite a big team, didn't you? So, it started around two, if I remember right, yeah. and then you grew that up to fifty. So, and it was pretty short space of time, really, around seven years or so. And like you say, you were selling to all, all different countries. So, how we were you able to make that happen, Shabri? What what was the, what were some of the secrets that enabled you to grow so fast?
1: Yeah, good question. So. You know, I think at the start, what we realized was um, there was no process and there was no structure. So, a lot of the initial things that I did was just building out, you know, some of the basic things around alignment between marketing and, and sales development, between sales and sales development. And um, but in order for for the team to grow and the team to scale, like that process had to be repeatable. One of the things that took a huge amount of time was hiring. Um, And hiring when you're hiring graduates with little to no experience and you're hiring on raw talent, it's really difficult. We spent a ton of time hiring and and training. And so one of the things that I had to change to allow me to to grow that team so rapidly was um, just to actually start hiring in cohorts, hire once or twice a year. So moving away from hiring two people a month, three people the next month, three people the next month, we just hired in bulk. So it meant that there was two points of the year which were just crazy busy, but hiring 15 people at a time or 20 people at a time, onboarding them all together, um, massively increased the efficiency and productivity of that process. So instead of onboarding being this whole monstrous eight week program, it was a two week intensive boot camp style training. Um, So on the hiring and onboarding side, that's
0: where we saw a lot of a lot of quick wins, really. Got it. Okay. so hiring in bulk. And this is always a tricky one that I like to ask business owners that come on Shabri. Are there any tips or insights you've got? So for anyone tuning in that is perhaps thinking of building up their sales staff or their staff in general. um, I've always found hiring sales guys or girls to be very difficult because um, they quite often talk the talk or walk the walk on the interview. Yeah. They say, yeah, last last month I closed, I don't know, 20, 30 grand. I was, I was three times over quota and, um, yeah, did did this, did that. But then it comes to the crunch. They've been working you for a few months, and uh, they're nowhere near what they said they were going to hit. They're not making the dials or they're not sending the emails or not putting the activity, and they're just not getting the sales revenue. So have you got any um, any ideas that you could share that have worked for you in terms of how you can kind of differentiate the blaggers from the uh, achievers?
1: Yeah, I love that. That's such a good question. Um, I actually recently wrote a blog on this. And one of the things that I like to do in hiring, and I think I've seen a number of companies move toward doing this, is actually including a written assessment and a written assignment as part of the interview process. Um, And I think that that shows drive. It shows someone's ability to like actually want and desire to want the job um I love that you call them blaggers because we all see these in sales right when they're like you know I'm great at this I'm great at that and so having a written assignment I think I think achieves a couple of things I think firstly it shows someone's passion for the role I think we often forget that when we're interviewing people they're also interviewing us. like it's such a competitive market right now they're probably interviewing at three four five different companies so getting someone to invest you know, 30 to 45 minutes to do a written assignment and actually sit down and have a think about something, I think does start to eliminate the blaggers from the, you know, from the high performers. And what that typically looks like and and how I've used it in the past is to ask someone to um, go on the website, think about a persona that they would target um, and actually draft an email to a persona. And what I'm looking for there is not necessarily the right or perfect answer, but I'm looking at how someone approaches that. Um, I'm looking at written communication. I think written communication, personally, I find it's quite difficult to coach people. I think there are a ton of things that you can train and coach people on. I think written communication is one of the ones that I think is harder. I think it's innate and how people kind of develop that. Um, But I also think it shows creativity and, and how people think right um is that someone that you want to put in front of a client is that someone that you want to like let manage your um, you know key account think about like how they're going to approach that and manage expectations on time and say look this is going to take you about 30 to 45 minutes some people won't do it right but that's going to save you time and it just eliminates them out from the process and if they don't do it that's fine um and so i think you know the point that you raised is something i've experienced before is just the talk. But actually, when it comes to doing, they don't do anything. So this, for me, has been quite a key um, point in the interview process. Um, and if there's any business owners out there, like I completely understand how important it is to get your new hires right when it's your own business. You know, risk is a lot um, is a lot higher and you don't necessarily have an appetite of, of risk. So. Um, I'd encourage companies to, you know, try that out and, um, you know, think about it. There was one I read last week that someone said, um, you know, they ask people to come in and present something on a topic okay. that, that that they know more about than people who are interviewing, um, which is really great, right? Because you quite, it kind of makes you think of like, if I was, what do I know more about than them, and how do I go and present that, right? And um, so there are a ton of different exercises and assessments that you can do, but I think, you know, I'd encourage um, uh, people to start to think about how they embed that in their
0: process that's a really interesting point and something I've not heard before so the written assessment I love um because like you say it's going to help you understand how creative they are how professional they're going to be with clients um I'd also add that in my opinion anyway and I've had a few debates with people on this over LinkedIn that sales people should be preve- um, creating their own content so be that yeah. blogs be that videos be that podcasts be that LinkedIn posts um, we shouldn't rely purely on marketing to, to give us leads. We should be actively generating our own leads. Um, so I, I don't care if it's cold calling email, but with digital the way it is now, it's so easy to start creating your own copy content, doing LinkedIn posts, doing videos, doing podcasts, whatever it may be to get the engagement, build the trust and start inbound opportunities coming your way. So I guess it helps a bit in terms of showing how, they, how good they're gonna be at that, how well they're gonna be able to craft emails um, in terms of the way they actually put words together, how they can reach out to people, so yeah, I, I love that. It's really interesting and a unique um spin that I've not heard on. Okay, cool. Um one other thing on that that role, Shabri. So it sounds like you're working with clients all over the shop, so many different countries. Um now I at Webchoice, we sell digital marketing solutions. So I deal with mainly UK. And then we sometimes have clients around Europe and US, um, probably about 80% of our client base is UK with a few other countries in between. So would you say there's much of a difference um, between selling to UK businesses to all the different overseas um, clients that you've dealt with? Is Is it much more difficult? Is it easier? Or tell us a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so I think that the big differences I've personally seen are UK and some of the Middle Eastern countries that I spent quite a lot of time dealing with. Um, so I think the way they approach sales there, I think the way they approach marketing there, very different. So um, you know, they less engage less with things like webinars, um and it's more about that kind of face to face relationship. Um okay. even when we were doing events we used to send, you know, personalized hand delivered invites and So I think it was just a lot more personal. So one of the things that, you know, when I was running the SDR team in the Middle East was, it was really easy to get a meeting because everyone wants to meet. It's a very relationship driven culture. like everyone wants to meet, but actually the conversion then from meeting to opportunity was actually a lot lower. Um, Whereas I find in the UK, you know, it's harder to get a meeting, but the conversion is a lot higher because I think people are protective of their time. And they, you know, it's a genuine need or or interest when they accept that. I think, you know, there's a similar difference, I think, in the way we approach sales with the U.S. as well. Um, And I know there's been during lockdown a ton of U.K. versus U.S. kind of (laughs) debates and things like that. Um, But I I, I think that has, you know, that's definitely something that I've observed, which is um, it's just a bit different in the way that we sell. Um, You know, there's small nuances, like I think the U.S. still Use voicemail a bit more than we do in the UK. I, th- you know, and it's just small things like that. I think the video started in the US a lot earlier than we started, so I think it's just they're a little bit more advanced in some of those ways than than we perhaps are, and as, as as it relates to sales.
0: Great. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I'd like to move on now to the business. Your business, sales, works. Um, so it'd be interesting to know a bit more about why you started that and uh, when the moment was you decided to go out on your own.
1: Yeah, so um, it's been just over two years now since I started SalesWorks. Um, When I left Finastra, I realized what I really enjoyed doing was building and um, optimizing sales development and inside sales teams. Um, I did it for four of the regions. I realized that's what I really enjoyed doing. So um, I decided that I would go and speak to a couple of companies, I started interviewing, and I realized that there was a huge need for companies to build this. I think what I was seeing was companies were investing a lot more in digital marketing. So a lot more marketing qualified leads were being generated. And with that specialization of roles was being created as well. So, you know, companies who historically have salespeople who would do from lead to close we were looking at building teams that would focus from lead to opportunity and allowing their account executives and account managers to focus on um, closing and relationships. But what I saw was a lot of people putting up their hand, asking for help, and didn't really know how to do it. Um, and so that's when I decided to um, start sales work. So for the first nine months or so, we were purely consulting, and um, we worked with companies both in the UK and US on helping them either grow their team or helping them build a team for the first time. So everything from hiring to onboarding to process. And um, at SalesWorks, we use um, the 4S framework. So that's skills, structure, strategy, and systems. And okay. those are the four areas that we believe need to be aligned for a high-performing sales team. Um, so where I say now about a, over a year ago, one of our clients asked us to build out training programs for their for their teams and um that's something that i did at finastra but i'm not a sales trainer and um and so i did it and what i realized was it was just a completely different approach to self-training that i had had in the past and personally i've had a bad experience with self-training with my teams in the past and i think it's one of those things that has a bit of a bad reputation because i think there are more people that do it badly than do it well um, you know, whether it was e learning or whether it was, you know, classroom style learning, I've probably spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in training my teams in the past and not really seen a great ROI. And um, so what I realized with the challenges with training was um, implementation. People just came back and didn't do anything differently, very fragmented. Um, and it was a one off event, right? So, um, okay. you know, if you want to go, if you want to lose weight, you don't just go to the gym once right and it's the same it's the same with sales I wish you, you know could know do that but unfortunately not yeah. <laughs> don't we all have um, and so you know so what I realized is things have to be repeatable and they have to there has to be an accountability so um, we built the sales works academy um, and all of our trainers are um, are practitioners so they all have recently been sales people or sales leaders because that was another thing that I found with sales training was Someone was a sales rep 20 years ago, right? And things, as we look at digital selling and things like that, things have just dramatically changed. Um, and so, you know, I'd say over the last 14, 15 months or so, um, the business has shifted its focus significantly to the training side of things. Um, and so, we run, we build, and run sales training programs for companies um, that are interactive and practical, and um, that are they're repeatable as well. So it's it's training paired with one-to-one coaching. Um, so it's a three-month program of training and coaching um, and that's and that's been something that we've seen um, work really, really well and especially during this pandemic, um, you know, we've shifted to remote um, and then in May we recently got acquired by um, a Boston-based investment holding company um, and that's really, you know, two sort of main gains from that. One is, um, you know, we've added the number of practitioners um, and expanded the services we're able to offer to our customers. So previously our training was um, for SDRs and inside sales. And now we've expanded training to customer success, account executive and account managers. Um, so really, you know, we can work with an entire commercial um, organization and train them so they've got one standard way of doing things. Um, so it's exciting for our customers. Um, and also it expands our geographical reach as well. Um, so expanding into north america especially for companies who've got a sales team in north america and the uk to be able to work with um with companies um across that geographical reach has been has been great as well
0: awesome so we've covered some some great stuff there and i loved um, the fact that you said that sales training is not a one-off thing so just like if you're going to the gym working out you can't just go once every month hope you're gonna get six pack. hope you're gonna get super lean or super muscular whatever your goals are you've got to go consistently Um, so it's interesting you should say that and also the point you raised that the sales trainers that you you use you employ are actually practitioners so I'm sure we've uh, we've all had a sales trainer or heard about a sales trainer that came in told us about this massive deal they closed about 10 years ago and uh, they haven't picked up the phone or sent an email or done any cold outreach since so um, yeah that's great so in terms of um, that training side of things um, I'm sure we've all had the story of Sales reps being employed, kind of given their half a day or one day's training, and then just told to get on with it. Um, are there any any tips in terms of what companies should not be doing in terms of when it comes to sales training? So massive no no's. And then any maybe two or three points on what they definitely should be doing to kind of keep their staff motivated. Because sales is a tough gig, right? And business yeah. in general, it's, it's hard to keep your motivation. And especially when you've had a few bad days or bad weeks, it's, uh, it's sometimes tricky to, to get that positive mindset going.
1: Um, yeah, I completely agree, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a good question. So when we look at the like nose, um, you know, don't have a training where it's just a trainer talking for eight hours at your rep, or whether it's let's say it's a manager, your manager doing the training, that's not going to work. Like our attention span is like decreasing just like day by day with just all the distractions that we have. Um, there is we we tend to remember when we do something. Um, when we do something practical, we will remember 30% of what we've been taught, right? 30% okay. is not very much. No. Um when we when we aren't doing something practical, it drops to about 15, 20%. So as practical as you can make the training, the more likely you are to um, the more likely you are to, to sort of pick that up and remember it. Um, cool. I think for leaders, business owners, um, the positioning of the training is really important, right? If you send someone a link to e-learning and say, you need to complete this by Friday, they're gonna complete that as a tick box exercise. And you smile, but the number of times I've seen and heard that, right? And that's why, you know, nothing will change. So I'll say like, oh, my manager's asking me to do this by Friday, I've got to get this done. They won't really understand the importance and the why. Um, So having like, just making that purpose really, really clear when you're doing the training, I think is really important setting expectations and build some accountability but I think leaders and business owners are accountable as well. And I think the role that they can play is how do they reinforce that? So is it call coaching? Is it deal coaching? Is it just general coaching, right? You can't just like, like say to your teams, okay, we'll go and do the training and then I expect you to hit your quota. Like they business owners, leaders all have to play a role in that as well. So I think being hands on, being, you know, looking at where the accountability lies, I think it's on both people, making training as interactive as possible um, and try and, um, you know, now now we're remote. We don't, we don't do full one day trainings anymore. We break the up and we do sprints. So we do two hour sessions and a kind of high intensity sessions because we know people aren't going to sit in front of a laptop in the same way they would have done in person for eight hours and take everything in. Um, so, you know, there's, I think there's just some things that people can do around making sure that, um, that training is consumable, um, and it's productive as well.
0: Yeah, Love that. And I love the point you made about the kind of hands on the coaching side of things. Cause like you say, a lot of training is just read the material or go on the online online course, tick a few boxes, read a few things and you're done. Um, whereas if you've actually got someone with you, that's been in the trenches, done, done the work you're doing. So whether your sales development or business development or your account manager, whatever role you're playing, they've actually done it. And then they're with you coaching, whether it's your calls, your emails, going through, giving you tips, giving you insights and helping you, literally holding your hand to, to take you to the next step. That's That sounds so much more powerful. So that really makes sense. All right, Shabri, what I'm keen to get into is, um, so you started the company in 2018 and it's, it's been acquired now. We're in 2020. So that's super fast. That's some serious growth. So I'd love to learn how you've scaled it so quickly and i'm sure the audience everyone tuning in would love to know some of the channels that you've employed be them offline um or be them digital marketing that have helped you see that growth so quickly
1: yeah so i think what um i think what really helped feel the company in the first year was all about um sort of building my network understanding the industry a bit more working on you know getting some um good referenceable clients under, you know, and sort of building that value really, really quickly. And in the second year, when we realized that the value that clients wanted to see was actually in training. um, So I think pivoting toward that quite quickly um, made quite a big difference. I think, you know, building our partner ecosystem has um, has been really valuable within the first, sort of that happened actually at the start of the second year. So, you know, partnering with um, complementary companies, so Sales loft being one of them, you know, which is, um, you know, has been great and sort of a huge name in the sales engagement space. Um, You know, we've got talent partners, got other tools and tech stack providers. Um, And so that was, um, I think, nailing down the kind of area and industry and networks, we wanted to be visible in. So, and um, last year we also made the decision to be a sponsor for Self Confidence, which is, um, you know, okay. one of the, um, one of the largest, um, networking and, and events for B two B SaaS sales professionals. And so, knowing that that was an industry and network that we wanted to be associated with, you know, we made the decision that you know, whilst it was probably something that I hadn't expected to do that early on we realized that that was you know, a, a huge win for us. So I think we, we took some risks and I think placing bets on um, networks and industry events and things like that, I think has been really important. Um, you know, I think we, we were seeing a ton of success at events and things like that. We're at a completely different um, stage now. So at the start of 2020, we actually ramped up digital marketing and we hired and um, a social media marketer to focus on um, on channels. And when I started SalesWorks, I knew that I wanted to create a ton of content, the like blogs, articles, and things like that. What I realized at the start of this year was it was all associated to me. So I wanted to focus on building up the brand awareness of, um, of SalesWorks, so um, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, So having someone focus on that day in, day out, you know, was was really important just to kind of build brand awareness. I always struggle to measure the ROI from brand because I think it's quite difficult to to do that. Um, But, you know, I think that that's something that was important. We're going through a website rebrand right now and refresh because I think now the environment we're in, people are spending more and more time on the digital assets that you provide. Um, and so that's been really key, key for us to focus um, and, you know, something that um, has been a high priority for us during the time.
0: Excellent. Great to hear that you're, you're ramping up digital marketing. Um, so year one, Shabri, you said it was it was mainly about acquiring and getting on board great clients. How did that happen? Did you already have clients from previous roles that you had relationships with that you were able to bring on? Or were you hitting it cold? Were you hitting cold um, calls, emails, referrals, that kind of stuff? Or was it digital? Or talk us through a bit more about how you were able, actually able to bring these on clients on board.
1: So everything that we did in the first year, we were fortunate that everything was through referrals. So it was either people I had worked with in the past um, or it was through you know connections and referrals and things like that. Um, then when we started going to a lot more events and investing in events and sponsorship and speaking at events um you know in the first year i spoke at five events um globally which was something that i decided to invest some more time in just sort of building up brand and um sort of you know building up that thought leadership aspect as well actually interestingly we only just started outbound sales in sales Two months ago. So oh, right. up until now, everything has been sort of inbound um, referrals and, and through um, through things like that. So we've just started. We've relied quite heavily on digital marketing, um, and I think that you know we've just started paid um, paid search and, and things like that. So we're kind Great. of. Te- I think we're in a different space now than we were six months ago. And so now, right now, it's just kind of A/B testing what works, what doesn't work. Um, and then we'll be able
0: to double down on, on some of those some of those strategies. Awesome. Okay, so it sounds like a bit of a multi-channel approach, a lot of referral-based, and now kind of moving more into outbound, looking at digital channels, um, and a few few things like networks, uh, networking events, sponsoring events, and um, public speaking. Which is interesting, as it's I think only one or two guests we've had on the show so far have said that's been quite a good channel to generate business. Is that something you had quite a bit of success with, um, Shabri?
1: I think it's been successful for building connections and building you know sort of your brand awareness and building your credibility in that space. Sure. I think one of the things that I realized when I when I left Finastra I realized that I hadn't done a lot of industry related stuff. I had every event I went to was one of Finastra's events for example. So I hadn't done a lot of industry related stuff so I realized that I needed to build credibility with a different network and um sort of position myself as somebody who is an expert in this field in a, in a sort of different sphere um and so it has built um it's actually built yeah it's built relationships and it's built um credibility um i don't know if i can say um a lot of them built you know sort of directly lead generation. Um, or if they have, it's not been immediate. It's been, you know, I'm you know, I'm talking to someone now who said, I saw you speak at an event last year. So it's not been immediate, but I but I think that's okay.
0: Makes sense. And that's that's quite often the case with with things in digital as well. So like LinkedIn, over time you're building your credibility with content. And you might not have ever spoken to someone and they might have been following you for a year, six months, whatever and then they reach out to you say, look, I've been seeing your posts on X, on Y, and Z. I can see that you know what you're talking about. Then they reach out to you, yeah. you an inbound lead. Or much the same with, with paid advertising or SEO. It might be that someone keeps seeing your brand in front of them, and over time, they've got that trust that they're then ready to take the step and um, inquire yeah. Cool. Okay, we've covered some great ground, Shabri. Um, now, for anyone that's listening and tuning in that's thinking of taking the jump and starting off on their own and building their own business, have you got any tips or insights that might make their first few weeks or months a little bit easier um, in terms of, um, yeah, any any golden nuggets advice really for anyone that wants to take the jump?
1: Okay, golden nuggets or advice. Um, I think my first golden nugget would be, like, take a risk, right? A lot of people that I speak to say, you know, I'm thinking about going off on my own, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I should do it. Ask yourself what's the worst that could happen, right? Even if you do it for three months and, and it doesn't work and you end up doing a bit of consulting and you go back to something else, like that's not a bad outcome. Um, you know, I, I, I say no one wakes up saying I want to be an entrepreneur. People wake up wanting to fix the problem. So ask yourself, what problem is it that you're trying to fix? Because if you're not trying to fix a the problem, then ask yourself you know who's who's your ideal customer profile going to be what are you what are you trying to do So, kind of get that why out first would be my first tip um my second tip would be surround yourself with good people right whether that's partners or um or sort of you know, uh, former colleagues, or whoever that might be, because it can be quite lonely at the start, you know, I went from a 10,000 person company to just me. Um, and I think that was the biggest adjustment, not having a manager or not having, you know, peers or colleagues kind of bounce ideas off. to so surround yourself with, with good people. Um, and, you know, I think also, it, it is difficult, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's not going to work. So um, I think just sort of keeping that, um, keeping that sort of morale high because it is all on you and you know i didn't take a holiday for the first 11 months right it is all on you because if you don't do something then it's not going to get done but i think take that risk um and i think you know sort of celebrate your successes as well and i think i didn't really do a lot of that in the first year and i landed some amazing clients and i don't really think i stepped back to to celebrate that and i think that's really um i think that's really important
0: Awesome okay so yeah take take the risk I guess the worst that can happen like you say is you can do a bit of consultancy or whatever depending on your industry and most in most cases you can you can go back and you can find a role if it doesn't work out after a few months so that's that's interesting um and then surrounding yourself with, with great people is that is yeah. that more in terms of kind of partners or is that in terms of people that you're actually going to be working together with or um yeah can you tell us a bit more about that sort of thing shall we
1: Yeah, so I think it's it's two things. So I think, firstly, growing your network. So, um, you know, things like attending webinars or going to events or, you know, joining different communities, um, you know, actually building your your network. Um, So, you know, and and I sort of made a thing that anytime I meet someone, I try and grab a coffee with them and just, you know, just try and spot what's out there and who's out there and things like that. And I think the other thing is, you know, grow your ecosystem. So find out who are the partners and companies that you might be able to work with that, you know, might be targeting similar people to you, but be doing a completely different product or service. So how can you build those ecosystems where you have referrals and you have partners and alliances and things like that?
0: Got it. Good stuff. And Shabri, we like to ask everyone that comes on if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence on yourself and your career. Who would that be and why?
1: Great question. I've never been off that before. Um I think I'd say my father. I think I'd say my dad. Um I, I my dad started his own business um about 30 years ago. And so I think seeing his work ethic and um, his entrepreneurial flair um has, has had a huge impact on me and I think led me to um to where I am today.
0: Great stuff. Well, everyone, you've been tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Shabri, um, tell us a bit more about your business and the best way people can get in touch with you and connect with you.
1: Great. So, um, As I've talked about on this podcast, um, SalesWorks works and focuses on sales team development, so through consulting and training. Um, We're co-located in Boston and London. And so um, if anyone would like to have a chat and just bounce ideas and and share insights around what's working for them and what's not working for them as it relates to their sales team, um, I'd love to to have a chat. Um, You can find us on salesworks.co.uk, connect with me on LinkedIn, and you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram
0: as well. Awesome, Shabby. Thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Sam, for having me. My pleasure.
0: Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.